Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? G'day, you fine folk are listening to episode 197 of the Howie Games Part A, coming to you this week from Bengaluru in India. Nice, beautiful part of the world. This episode features, how about this, the best known jockey on the planet, Frankie Dettori. Racing royalty, a naval and Frankie Dettori, the arc winner is the Breeders' Cup turf winner too. Frankie's the full package, gun in the saddle, charismatic, full of flair. We are very, very fortunate. An athlete of his calibre and standing gave the show some of his time. Thank you, Frankie. Legend. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes Frankie has ridden in the Melbourne Cup 17 times 17 this year The Magical Melbourne Cup Carnival is from November 4 to 11 General admission tickets from 60 bucks Tickets at Ticketmaster Get yourself to Flemington It is a cracking week Thanks also to the star that is Maggie Payne from the VRC For making this episode happen Alrighty, let's get into it Let's go racing with Lanfranco Frankie Dettori, MBE champion. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion I well, this is an absolute beauty for the Howie Games. For mine, the most well-known, dedicated, elite jockey on the planet. He has been doing it for 30-plus years. He's won everything there is to be won. His name is Frankie Dettori, and I am pumped that he is joining us on the Howie Games. Frankie, how are you going? Good morning. Good morning here. It's um, evening in Australia, but anyway, we can still talk these days on the Zoom call. That's amazing. Mate, I just said to you as we were getting set up, gee, you look fit. You must spend an inordinate amount of time still keeping yourself fit and ready to race ride. You look amazing, mate. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I, uh, you know, I'm 52, so I have to go to the gym every day. You know, obviously, if I travel, I, 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 I'm not able to do so. But, yes, I've got to keep myself fit. Uh, um, yeah, that's, that's what happens when you get old. You've got to ride with the, the young jockey, so you've got to work extra hard. Now, Frankie, there's so much I want to talk to you about your journey and we'll explore that, where you came from, how you got into it and how things progressed. But Melbourne, obviously the Melbourne Cup, it's such a massive race. You've raced in it 17 times. What does Melbourne and the Cup mean to you? Well, uh, I was one of the pioneers, myself and Michael Kinan, Mick Kinan. We uh, came in uh, maybe 93, was it? Possibly. I I think I was one of the favourites. I was riding the Gold Cup winner. Drum taps, and uh, obviously, I was I wasn't even married then. I was dating uh, what she's now my wife, Catherine. What a mother she's uh, from Bathurst, and uh, she's got some uncles who live in uh, Singleton, and father from New Zealand. So I had some sort of connections because of my wife's family. Um, and then, so anyway, um, it, well, I, I, I mean, it blew my mind away when I first, 
arrived and I uh, I was there for the Saturday for the for the Derby Day and uh, I was good friends with uh, Brent Thompson in England. So he kind of took me under his wing and uh, and he showed me the town a little bit and uh, and the buzz of the place was incredible. Uh, and then uh, obviously, uh, and I met some, some you know, the, the great jockeys like Mick Dittman, uh, Shane Dye, Gregor, and uh, Brenty. And uh, yeah, basically, I I hung around with them, played a bit of golf. And yeah, it was, uh, yeah, like I said, I, there was so much to take in that uh, I don't remember everything I'd done, but. Um, the trainer of my horse, he, he, I think he did a spell in Australia. So he took me to the vineyards, he took me to some horse farms. So we, I did, you know, I did a lot. And uh, yeah, like I said, I was blown away. So, yeah, you know, as I, I introduced you as the, um, yeah, pretty much the most successful current jockey on the planet, 280 plus group one wins. You've won it. The, the amount of countries you've won is incredible. You've been on the Melbourne Cup 17 times for a couple of seconds, Central Park, Max Dynamite, and obviously with Master O'Reilly a, a little bit later. When you've won as much as you have, Frankie, is the Melbourne Cup just another race and each year it's like, well, I didn't manage to win it? Or is it something that still sits on your shoulder thinking, oh, I'd love to I'd love to be first past the post in the Cup? Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, it's one of the biggest races in the world. Uh, you know, you can, you know, name the Arc de Triomphe, the British Cups, the Dubai World Cup. I mean, it's that kind of importance that he has. And, you know, up to... 25 years ago was just your race, you know, the, the people from Australia and, and, and New Zealand. But obviously, you know, Demo Weld opened things up because he won it and he gave everybody a, a, a thought, well, you know, if, if, if somebody can do it, he's opened the floodgates for everyone to try. Now you, you we have Japanese winners, you know, you, you know, you have English also from Dubai. So, uh, he is, is um, became an international race. Uh, what, to to my mind, is great because uh, you know it, it just brings that different flavor, right? And uh, and obviously, uh, no different to me. You know, I you know it's one of the great races of the of the world, and and what makes it even more uh, difficult for me having uh, relatives. Like I explained to you, my wife relatives yeah. there is extra pressure on me because every year when the, the, <laughs> the race comes along, I get the phone calls. Why you haven't won it yet? Are you going to win this year? So, <laughs> so, 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 so all of that. <laughs> as as I said, Frankie, um, I know you, we've got limited time. There's so much I want to talk to you about. But for those that that aren't aware, t- tell me wh- why. Being a jockey, people won't realise that your father was heavily involved in the sport, a very successful jockey. To tell me about your dad and and growing up, I guess around horses, as I presume you did, Frankie. Yeah, of course. I lived. Uh, I was born and went to school in Milan, and obviously, uh, I've, I've been on a horse from the, the day, I, the first day I can remember being in this world. Um, <laughs> and you know, I started basically with little ponies when I was five, and then I went to pony club. And then I went to start with a little show jumping. Then in the summer months, uh, school when I was off school, I used to go to the stables and started riding like this. You know, slowly, slowly, I got better and better. And then I, uh, so that's that's what happened. Mom, uh, obviously, mom, my mom married my father. My mom, she used to uh, work in a circus, a family circus. What 
Right. She had to do everything. You know, she she did trapeze. She used to stand on two horses and ride them, and you know, and she used to be very very supple. So, I guess uh, my flexibility, my star jump, how you call it, probably come from her. But I guess the love for the horses come from my dad. Uh, and then, uh, so I spent every weekend going to the races because we, we we raced in Italy Saturday and Sunday. I used to go racing mostly to spend time with my friends, my, the other jockeys' sons you know, playing soccer in the car park and, and in between races and then watching the races. So, uh, you know, I loved you know, from, 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 from early doors doing that, the love for racing was imprinted in my brain. Uh, the smell, the what thunder. Was it? What, yeah, yeah, like, what was it? What was it about racing that grabbed you, Frankie, as a young fella? Yeah, I mean, look, the smell, the thunder of the horses, the crowd, the competition, the whole package. I just loved it. And I thought, this is a bit of me. Uh, this is what I want to do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and dad, dad was very successful. You know, I mean, he had the villa, he had the Mercedes in the drive. I thought, wow, you know, you know, he was a classic example. Wow, you know, I want to be like him. And uh, so then I started ride. Uh, I left school at 14. But in those days, you could uh, if you had a job. So I obviously, because I was in, in racing, um, I started riding in the stables and I was getting better and better and my dad got really excited. And he uh, basically, he st was starting to plan my future. So he sent me to England for six months as a trial. At, at what age? I was 14. And I... Uh, so so, so, what happened when you got off the plane at Heathrow or Gatwick and you, you've you've come from Milan to, to to London? It's a bit different. What was it like as a young fella? Well, obviously, my stepmother, she's French. So I learned French at school. So my English was, you know, it's not so great still, but it was very limited. And uh, it was a culture shock because I had to leave all my friends. I had no interest to go to England whatsoever. The weather's bad. The food's disgusting. Uh, and I thought, you know, <laughs> you know, why live in a beautiful country of Italy? I know my friends there, but I got brainwashed by my parents. They put a tag around my neck with my name on it. They passed me over to aerostasses. And two hours later, I, I landed in uh, Luton Airport in London. And uh, and I was, uh, I mean, obviously, it was organised by my parents. My trainer stayed in this bed and breakfast. And, uh, and I, you know, I was tiny, uh, afraid, all of that. And uh, my, um, my, the people that I lived with were very nice and they were trying to make me feel welcome. So for dinner, they, they presented me with the ravioli from the tin, right? And I, I thought, <laughs> so, so I thought this is going to be a long six months. And uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, it was tough. Of course, I cried every night, you know, um, Obviously, because I was a foreigner, I was getting bullied a bit by the other apprentices or young jockeys. You know, stuff. But, um, you know, three months later, I started to put a couple of words together and I got my, made friends. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the riding uh, was amazing because, you know, we, 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 um, we in Italy, we, we, we work around the track like you do in Flemington, right? But we're in yep. New, by the new market, we, we have vast, uh, land, we can go uphill, you know, left, right, straight. We got bends. We got you know a variety of gallops, and uh, the thought, you know, the 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 classy, the class thoroughbreds. It, you know, they usually come from England and Ireland. So compared to the Italian horses that I used to ride, they were like Ferraris. 
So that was 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 amazing, and uh, and then my my time my six months was was up to come back, and and uh, my trainer got excited, and he asked my dad if I could stay and and sign up as a as a apprentice jockey, and and I was happy to stay because I was fifteen, I was chasing the girls, I made friends, and I thought I was riding these great horses. And the rest is history. So that's that's the 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 base the baseline of how I started really. Well, follow your journey, but I'd like to talk to you about your your job as we continue through at various times. So, you're a young fellow. The first time you meet a horse and you're going to ride it, Frankie, like you, you know you you've arrived all parts of the world, including Melbourne, and you have to get on a horse for the first time. What's the key to establishing? It sounds like a strange question. So I don't know a great deal about horse riding and horse racing. What's the key to establishing a relationship with a horse that you're going to then ride in a race when, when you've never been on the horse before? Well, nowadays, obviously, we have we have everything in our hands. I you know we can watch replays, you know, to look at the horse's form. Then you get a feedback from the trainer. Obviously, they'll tell you the the characteristics. But it's all about uh, the body language the horse gives you. You know. Uh, Every horse is different, and when when I first started uh, uh, in, the, in my job, my my old trainer called Luca Kumani used to say to me, you know, you got to find the key of every horse. Every horse is different, so uh, you know, you have the calm one, so you can bully a little bit. You have the one that is nervous, so you got to give her a pat, just to try to keep keep him relaxed. Uh, the body language, the voice, and um, that, that that's that's key. But that's something that. We take it for granted. It's something that, you know, obviously it comes from a young age. You know, all that came yeah. when, when you started riding ponies when you were a kid, right? It's, you know, it's not the different that uh, a owner of a dog, you know, you get, uh, you know, you get to know the characteristics of it. And same as us. Unfortunately, we only got maybe 10 minutes. By the time you, in the mountain yard, you get on, then you, yeah. you, you get, a, you, you, you already get a feel of his character. And then as you warm him up going to the start, you, you get to a feel of his stride pattern. Is he, is he, is he a long striding horse? That means is uh, a horse that it takes a little time to, to, to round up. If he's got short, sharp action, that's a horse that perhaps he's got a good kick. So you get all these characteristics gain to your brain, but we, we kind of, we, for us, it becomes kind of natural. We don't even have to process it like that. It just happens. Um, I would say, you know, I guess like uh, Louis Hamilton when he gets in his car, you know, exactly how everything works and how everything feels. So it's a, li- it's a little bit like that. That's 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 the baseline. And and then you have to try to, uh, you know, you barely got those ten minutes. You have to be- become friends with him uh, because those he doesn't know if he's going to run one mile or two miles. He doesn't know. He doesn't read the. The race form said, "Oh, today's two miles, so I must, <laughs> I must go really slow at the beginning." He doesn't know, so he, you, gotcha. he, you are his boss, but you can only be his boss if you are friends with him, right? So, if, if for yeah. example, if he runs a two mile race and you wanted to save energy, you want to slow him down. You want, you want to be friends with him. So when you tell him to slow down, he will obey your orders and he will slow down. And then when you say, go on, we can go on a bit now, he responds to your, your command and he'll go on a bit more, right? So that's, that's the key. And then if you can, you can have, you know, we only got 10 minutes to, to, to have that uh, bonding. And once you have that bonding, then obviously on top of that, then you have to start thinking of your own tactic, how to beat the others. Uh, you know, but like, like I said, also, they don't know, they don't know how far they're going. And, and, and of course, 
we teach them to run fast at the end. But they don't even they don't even know where the winning post is actually. And, and so on that on that when when it's the last couple of hundred meters, when it's the clock tower at Flemington, all the famous race courses in the world, and you need something more from your horse, what does Frankie do to get that extra bit from the horse? But listen, uh, having a horse is like having this ball of energy, right? Yeah. So you want to finish the race, you know, right on the limit of your energy. You don't want to finish the race with a bit, with with a a little left in the tank. And you don't want to finish the race and you're already on empty. So it's just try to use every ounce of energy of the horse to make sure that you cross that line at that point. And you cannot, you only, you know, you only uh, do that by feeling when you're on the top. You know, some horses can only sprint for 300. Some horses can do 400. Some horses can do 275. And you only know that by the horse's body language, right? You can tell when the horse is getting tired, you know, but you can also tell, well, I got enough to get there on the line. So, you know, every horse is different and you have to judge it yourself. And, you know, and, you know, it happens very often that you, you finish the race, you still got plenty of energy left. So maybe you didn't use enough. Or sometimes you kick too early, use the energy too early and you stop dead before the line. So you have to take all these things in consideration. And, and now that I'm 36 years professional, experience now, it plays a big part, you know, and... You know, because I've been doing it for so many years and I've had so many tries at it. So that's the basis. Back to Frankie shortly. Next week, one of three possible guests. All great guests, but it'd be fair to say scheduling issues have hit the team in India back at base with me in India for the World Cup. But don't worry, we will have a ripping guest for you next week, so do not miss it. Plus, next Tuesday, the Artist Series continues with... TV star, money maestro, AFL club president, all-round dude, David Kosh. Koshy on the Artist Series, and we will have a full guest next Thursday as well. Koshy Tuesday, full guest next Thursday with someone. Let's just call it a mystery guest. All righty, let's get back to Frankie. If you go back, what was your first winner? As an apprentice, what, what, like, what was your first winner? My first winner was 15, and it was uh, in Turin. That's a, a city about an hour from Milan. Yep. My yep. father uh, and, and my trainer bought this very slow horse for me to race kind of every, <laughs> every, to practice every week in the apprentice races. And his name was Riff, R-I-F. And uh, he was a gentle giant. And it was funny because I had them floppy ears like a sheep, right? And he didn't have them straight, he had them <laughs> on the side. <laughs> but he gave me my first one. I mean, it was, it was very slow, but it was perfect for a, for a young jockey to, to practice and yeah, it was my first win, and the dream started from there. We, we've had all sorts of athletes on this show that, that their parents have helped them along their career, whether it's drive them to sport or provide encouragement or coach them or or some take a step back. Following in the father's footsteps, how was that for you? Was your dad someone that helped you along the way? Did he stand back? What, what was his influence over you? Like what role did he play in you or still does? Well, dad uh, come from the old generation, but his father, you know, was in the war and all that. So dad uh, really, when he grew up, you know, they were poor. Uh, but he made the, yep. made the name of himself and became champion jockey. And uh, so he's really old-fashioned, old-school, very strict. Um, but straight to the point, you know, he, he really, really pushed me. You know, he, 
you know, he, like I said, he, he kicked me out of the house when I was 14 to go to, to England. And, uh, you know, and I forever, in, nowadays, argue with him, says, Dad, you know, you, you, you know I, couldn't, I couldn't do that with my children. How can you push me so hard? What about if something would happen, if I would have had a fall and twisted my knee and couldn't ride anymore? I would have felt mentally, you know. But then his argument is, you know, look at you now. You know, I made you where you are now. So yep. he's, he's got some points. He really pushed me. Um, you know, he is my worst critics, uh, you know, because he was jockey in the past. And he'd be the first one to ring me up and tell me where I messed up. But it's good because at least... Does I, he? Yeah. Oh, yes. Even now. And But it's good because, uh, <laughs> you know, I know that he's, he's telling me the truth. Even if uh, it sounds really harsh, but I, I, I got used to it now. But... Uh, uh, that those was the, uh, the the old the, the old way, and like I said, I uh, this new generation of you know I'm, I'm much much softer to my children than my parents was with me, and uh, but it's, you know it's a different generation. Yeah, I think we all are, Frankie. I think from from a sporting perspective, you probably went beyond horse racing. Uh, December 96 at Ascot when you rode the seven winners. So for those tuning in, there were seven races. Frank, Frankie won. Every race, Wall Street, Diffident, Mark of Esteem, Decorated Hero, Faithfully, Lock Angel. Wall Street and Frankie Dettori going to win the opener. Wall Street has won it from Simon Ladder. Priolina was third. And Mark of Esteem on Frankie Dettori. He completes a fantastic treble. Frankie Mark of Esteem has won it from Bosworth-Sham. Lock Angel from Corsini, but it looks like six for Frankie Dettori. As they run up to the line, Corsini is putting in a last effort, but Lock Angel holds on for the six-timer. Corsini is second. So you won six, right? Yes. You won six, and from what I read about it, they were interrupting broadcasts on the radio, on the television. It was like the whole of England was starting to get <laughs> around what was going on. Yeah. How are you feeling as this is going on and then you're jumping on, is it Fujiyama Crest for, for the last race to do something truly incredible, mate? Like the way I read about it, England just stopped and thought, well, can Frankie get the job done here? Yeah, they even moved the uh, the national news, believe it or not. Wow. I didn't know that till afterwards. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what was going on. Um I, when 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 I got I I'll be honest with you, I, I remember the first four. Race five, I don't remember. Absolutely I've got a blank in my memory because the, the, the my <laughs> my brain it was it couldn't take any more in, read register what was going on. And then I got to race six and uh the you know now I, I came back to normality. And I'm thinking, well, if I win this, I equal the record of Alex Russell, Sir Gordon Richard and Willie Carson. The, the only three in the last 350 years were one six straight. Wow. And I thought, wow, you know, and, you know, I'm so close. And I had a good shot. I was second favourite and I won. So that's amazing relief. You know, now I'm in the record books. You know, I'm, I can say then I equal a 350 years record. It's a desperate finish as they run up to the line. Fujiyama Crest finding a bit more, and it's seven for Frankie. Fujiyama Crest holds on for Northern Fleet, then Miraswaki, and I must flatter. Never in a million years I thought, you know, I'm going to win seven. No, no, I, so I was totally relaxed. <laughs> Dos was completely out of form. He, he, has, he didn't win for a year. He had top weight. It was a 12 to 1 shot in the morning, and because the money were rolling in, it was uh, when I was a walk to the to the mountain yard. It was two to one favor, and I was, I was laughing to myself, thinking, "Are these people mad? Are they crazy?" <laughs> and I was so relaxed, you know. And uh, I was I was waving at everyone. I was taking it all in. And the two mile start was in front of the grandstand, 
and uh, and I got a standing ovation. I was waving at everyone, and I mean, the, the, the Fujiyama Crest, he, a lovely old boy. Uh, he um, he was very straightforward ride. You know, you, you, all you had to do is get him to the front, and he would just keep on galloping forever. He could have gone sixteen miles. And so it, it really, tactically, I didn't have to think a lot. So I thought, just get him out of the gates, get him to the front, put your, put my hands in his neck and he'll, he'll, he'll go his own speed and, and good luck. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and that's what happened. Basically, I got him to the front and, uh, and I, I, I said to myself, look, I'll let him go his own pace. And when I get to the 600, I start winding it up a bit. And that's what I did. We got to, we got to the 600 and, uh, started going through the gears and we turned the corner and they ring the bell. And then uh, I, I heard this whoa from the crowd. I mean, wow, crazy. And I ended up, and, and, it, was, and it was still galloping slowly in the two milers. And, uh, and now the petrol is running out. It always is getting tired. And it's like, we, all, yeah. we, we only go 100 yards to go. And the crowd is screaming. I could hear Pat Henry behind me. I, all, all I could hear is... The, 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 the noise of his whip, right? Tap, tap, tap. Oh, God, he's coming to get me. He's coming to get me. And we crossed the line in front. One. I was absolutely, I was exhausted. Tied, tied because Fujama Crest is quite lazy, pushing him the last bit. And then tied because mentally I just, you know, I, I didn't even, I was able to really enjoy it because I didn't know what happened, you know. And then I came back here and... Everybody, people, people hanging from trees, lampposts, I mean, they were everywhere. I mean, there was a sea of people all waiting for me. And I came in and I jumped off it. And of course, checked my weight and uh, I came back out. And uh, yeah, I was just getting dragged left, right and center by the media. Just couldn't take it. Just didn't know what happened. And uh, anyway, I went back to the car three hours late after they send everybody's race car. And usually you go back to the car and you're thinking, uh, you, you know, somewhere along the line, you've done something wrong in the race. But it's the first time in my life, actually, <laughs> I did everything, I did everything right. So I was quite, I was quite happy. I was, listen to that. I was quite happy with myself. And uh, I was dating Catherine. Uh, I think we were engaged. We weren't even married. And, uh, and she, I was exhausted. I thought, great, go home and, put my feet up, have something to eat and maybe have a glass of champagne and just relax because I'm racing the next day. No, she forced me to go one of her friends 21st to this drinks party. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to go. And so we had an argument. Anyway, I got one of those, right? You never do anything for me. La, 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 la. So, I, so I was forced to go to this party in a bad mood. <laughs> Went there, I had one drink, stormed out of the place. She followed me in the car. We drove back, went back to bed with fighting, fighting with the duvet. So we, so what, what was meant to be my greatest day, we end up in an argument. And then <laughs> I used to get my papers delivered in the morning. So I couldn't wait to look at the papers. And I've already got a T-shirt and my underpants. So I opened the door and I had that surreal moment. I don't know if you've seen um, that film. Oh, Notting Hill. Notting, Notting Hill. Hill. Yeah, exactly. That's what you're going to say, Notting Hill, Notting yes. Hill. Spike, <laughs> when Spike opened the door. So I, op I was exa <laughs> exactly, I opened the door to get my newspaper and they were three deep of journalists and cameras, TVs, and I grabbed the people and ran in and I shut the door. I went, shit. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 
Really? You're up to something. Anna, no, please. So I had to ring my manager, <laughs> come and help. <laughs> and that's my life. My life, my life changed then. You know, uh, I went from obviously being known in racing to worldwide. You know, even the people in the street when knew nothing about racing knew about that. Yeah, my life, my, you know, my, my personal life changed completely from uh, 28, 28th September 96. That's the end of episode 197 of the Howie Games Part A. So much more to come with Frankie DeTori on Part B.